Harry, keep up. I'm running as fast as I can, Tim. It's not good enough, man. This monster's going to catch us, and I tell you, I do not want to be made into monster soup. Oh, same here, Tim. That is not how I want to end my Saturday. Let's hide in here. You sure? It looks very cosy. I'm going to hide inside this police box and hide from the monsters. Here's a police box. No time for that now, Harry, you silly fuck. Get in the box. My gosh! The inside is a different side to the outside, and it has really taken me by surprise. Tell me about it. I, for one, need to sit down. Good job the monster did not follow us in here. Let's sit in the dark corner and pass the time. How should we pass the time, Tim? Lucky for us, I have the very best of the first series of Bigger on the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, watching on podcast. Download it straight to my phone. The first series of Bigger on the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, watch along podcast? That must have costed you a pretty penny. That's the best thing. It's completely free. Free? How can I find out more? Well, you can follow the links in the description and enjoy these classic moments. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Big on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who. The, oh, I've messed it up. Let me start again. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I... <laughs> Wait, I'm still laughing. <laughs> Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the new Who. Oh, Christ. What the? F- How can I, why can't I get it? Give me a second. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who. <laughs> I can hear you laughing. Why can't I say <laughs> I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterberus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a Doctor, but I am. I'm a Doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome to... Bleh, let me start again. It's hard, isn't it? It's tricky. It's harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, okay. You all laugh at me every week. Mindset, mindset. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. I'm Harry, and we are joined today by my main host, Tim. Hello. I thought I'd give Harry the option to uh, start the episode, because I always mess it up, but it's tricky, isn't it? It's a tricky sentence to get out. It is tricky, and I feel like I probably messed it up somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. Every time I say it, I'm like, am I just am I just saying like what sounds? Am I actually saying anything? Or am I just going whoop 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 whoop? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky because I've just spent like a whole like I think it was at least four hours in a drama studio just like learning how to like deliver like monologues. So I've got kind of. <laughs> actor talking in my system right now. Oh, lovely. I, I've, got, I've got super noodles in my system right now. Obviously, Karen Gillan is huge now. <laughs> yeah. Karen, like, for, if you think of like all the um, actors who've been on New Who, the most successful one since being on the show is Karen Gillan. Yeah, she's in the MCU now. Well, yeah, but, yeah she's like, like doing the Jumanji films. She's in the MCU, which is like yeah. the biggest franchise in the world right now. 
yeah. It's kind but, of uh, crazy to think, yeah. It'll be fun to see. It'll be fun to see. I'd also like to talk about the possibility of... Well, I'll tease it now. I don't know when we're going to do it, so I don't have it lined up. But the possibility of recasting classic Doctors. Okay. But we can talk yeah, about because that. Obviously, obviously sure. we've we'll say David nothing. Bradley. Yeah, we would love David Bradley, oh, but we'll say no more. We'll wait. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll wrap this one up. I mean, we'll wrap this one up. Unless yeah. you've got something to say? Um, I was just going to say that I love David Bradley. Um, no, not just in Doctor Who, like everything he does. He does so much. I don't know how he manages to do it, but I love him for it. Especially in The World's End. Oh, he's so funny in The World's End. <laughs> yeah, he's great, isn't oh, he? Oh, he? Oh, I love he Bradley. He as well. He plays the farmer, doesn't he? Yeah, he was. And um, he's in this Diane Mor- an episode of this Diane Morgan comedy. Um, oh, what was it called? Mandy. He was great in that. Um, obviously, he's in um, the Harry Potter films. As, oh, uh, Afterlife as well, the Ricky Gervais series. Afterlife. Oh, he's so good in Afterlife. <laughs> Sorry, this is just... I love I love David Bradley. I love David yeah. Bradley. I got, to, I got to meet David Bradley a few years back at um, a convention. Oh, and he was he, he was so nice. He like the cute like you get a ticket right uh, for those who haven't been to conventions. You go up to like the person you go. I'd like to see David Bradley. They give you a ticket with a number on. Say like if your number's twelve, you have a pretty good chance at seeing that person throughout the day because your number's twelve. You okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. Um, I'll, I'll cut this out. <laughs> Someone in an apartment opposite me just waved, so I waved back. I have no idea who it is. <laughs> um, what was I saying? So yeah, you get your ticket, and it says like number twelve on it. You've got a pretty good chance of seeing that person that day. You're going to be the twelfth person to see them. I remember getting a ticket for David Bradley. It was like eight, like it was pretty early on. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to see David Bradley. That's cool. Getting to sign this and this and cool, cool, cool. And then like, I was like, three hours later, they were like on like number six. And I was like, why is it taking so long? But when you meet him, he'll just talk to you for as long as you like. Oh, like I saw him with a friend and like, lovely. he was like, oh, I think my, it was like, I don't know if his daughter or his granddaughter. He was like, oh, they went to a university near there or they, they go to that university and oh. just like chatting for ages. I got a really sweet photo with him as well. So yeah, he's really mm. cool. Hello. Um, so for you, I got to, oh, I'm going to turn my phone off. Um, I keep saying something a little different each week. But we're not going to be doing the watch-along stuff until about January next year is when those episodes will um, will drop. So we're going to do like little fun videos in between. We've got a few special things coming out before then, as you know. But today we're going to be talking about Doctors we would like to see return. Like classic Doctors, new Who Doctors, who we would like to see return alongside the 13th Doctor. Yes. <laughs> the fluidity of this podcast after three months of doing it is almost remarkable to some people (laughs) um so we're going to start with the most recent actors (laughs) you just say yes for no reason or was what was that for we're going to start with the most recent actors who have played the. we're going to start with the most recent actors who have played the doctor well we sang with them oh for fuck's sake (laughs) this is ridiculous (laughs) We're gonna. <laughs> oh my god! I think we should start with the most recent actors. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I thought of it. Okay, so current Doctor is Jodie, number thirteen, number twelve. I think she should return. You think twelve should return? No, I think, no, I think number thirteen. I think they should bring her. Goodness back. sake! <laughs> I hope we we'll see her in the Christmas special. I think yeah. it'd be really cool if yeah. they brought her back for that. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? You would like that? Yeah. 
Because like she, she she got a pretty short run, only two series. So I feel like if they if they brought her back for this Christmas special, that'd be like a really nice thing for fans. <laughs> I, I like this new character you made a Doctor Who fan who thinks each Doctor dies when the series ends. He's like, okay, that was fun. That was that done. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm allowed to admit it was a bit of a kind of twist of a suspension of disbelief when they killed the 13th Doctor off at the end of series 11 and then she came back like nothing had happened at series 12. Like, that kind of threw me a bit. But... So what, what, what was this person's thoughts on seeing David Tennant in that one Christmas special? At the start of the episode where he's been in her flat and he's walking back to the TARDIS. And then Rose tears and you hear the TARDIS noise, but you don't actually see it take off. That must have been so exciting for like Doctor Who fans after 15 years I mean, to was, be able to hear like the sound of... I really like the way that it kind of teased the TARDIS slowly throughout the episode. Like, first mm. of all, after the shot blows up and Rose runs home, there's like, it's on screen for a second. Like, in the darkness, it's kind of a blink if you miss it. Like, viewing it this time, this was the first time I noticed it. And then you see it in the background as Eccleston walks off and then you, you hear it and don't see it go. And then you know, it's kind of, you know, the final reveal of the inside, which is, I, I mean, it's, I really, it's just very built up to in a really cool way. Um, what do agree, you yeah. think of the early TARDIS design of, of this series? Because I know there's a lot of split um, feelings towards this version of TARDIS. Do you mean the... Do you mean the inside or the outside? Both, both the inside and the outside. Let's start with the outside. Well, the outside, I really like. I think it's my, it's one of my favourite outsides because I feel the Smith one was too light, and I didn't really get the St John's ambulance thing. I was like, oh, why is that? Yeah, on there? I like. But I think it 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 looks more real world. The Tennant Eccleston one, it looks more real, yeah, especially it feels the outside. A bit more kind of the yeah. ins- It feels more kind of run down like well worn it feels like an aged thing which yeah, yeah considering i think how, it does like, change slightly with tenant did it did it, oh yeah it did change slightly with tenant didn't it i think it gets slightly lighter in color but not a lot yeah the inside um because series two was my first series yeah. so the that tardis is always like my favorite tardis um, I get why people might not like it. Personally, it's my favourite interior, just because it's of what it, the, the connections to the show and me enjoying the show at that time. So it's almost like your favourite Doctor and your favourite yeah. TARDIS. You can't really have a favourite Doctor. But that said, I do think the um, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi TARDIS is probably the better looking yeah. interior-wise. I'm a big fan of his TARDIS for... Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. I feel like it's very, it's oh, very okay. alien. It's very kind of, it feels very alien, very foreign, um, but still functional. I like how kind of one mix match of different everyday objects the kind of TARDIS console is. I like how, I like how just kind of chaotic, but it is whilst also everything seemingly serving a purpose. And I, I like how yeah. well worn lived in it is, and I feel like for oh, yeah. I feel like for a doctor as you know, often kind of oddballish and eccentric, and with the kind of you know sometimes chaotic energy that Eccleston's Doctor has, I feel like it's a good fit. It's a good fit. I really like it. And yeah. When it comes to 
that combined of Tenant, I feel like Tenant's Doctor with that TARDIS didn't quite work in the same way, but I feel like... Okay. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to Tenant. But I, feel... I feel like maybe they didn't change it because maybe audiences were just getting used to it. Yeah. And maybe if you change it after one series, people are going to be like, are you, what, what, what's all this Well, by that point, they hadn't really established. It wasn't until Matt Smith's Doctor that they kind of probably established the idea that the TARDIS changed its re- regenerated itself as well um he has the he has all those photos of christopher eccleston's doctor in all these different um he has him at, is it the assassination of jfk just before the titanic and even further back but i was watching this and um i don't know maybe because it's the first time i've watched the show properly um since i was a kid but I swear at the start of that, at the start of the episode, Christopher Eccleston's doctor looks in a mirror and passes a comment about how he looks as if it's the first time he's seen There's how he looks. And then later we establish, uh, is there, what's the There's theory, a theory about, about that? Um, you know, at the very end of the episode where Eccleston, where the ninth doctor takes off and then he reappears to say, by the way, did I tell you it travels through time? There's, mm-hmm. there's this very oh, that right. took okay. off. He then spent a hundred or so years traveling around to all of these different places, and oh, kind of right, he spent okay. over a hundred years kind of thinking what he could say to Rose to make her come with him. <laughs> and so, you know, after going to the Titanic and the JFK assassination and all that, he he kind of finally decided to go back because he'd thought of what he could say to her. Okay, that'd be quite interesting because I always thought with. The, I, I, I'd quite, I'd, I won't go into future episodes so much, but with the idea of Chris coming back for the 50th, I always thought, uh, what would his role have been? Because it seemed like he met Rose and then he died with Rose. So at what point would he have been able to be on his own? Because Billy Piper's an amazing actress and she was in the 50th, but she doesn't look 15 years younger than she does now. So And she couldn't really pass herself off as a 19-year-old. So that would be quite interesting if Chris was in the 50th, you could have said, oh, this is him between these two events. And I feel like if Chris was in the 50th, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been, if Chris was going to be in the 50th, he would have occupied the role that John Hurt would have occupied, wouldn't he? I imagine. Yeah. So I imagine if they, he had been in the 50th, they would have done it so that um, it was him before meeting Rose at all and him like about yeah. to destroy Gallifrey. I mean, obviously, I think yeah. when Russell wrote this new series, in his mind, it was McGann's Doctor, the eighth Doctor that destroyed Gallifrey, mm. didn't it? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. yeah. What did you think to um, the photoshopping of 2005, where they photoshopped Christopher Eccleston into the JFK assassination, yeah. where he's looking right at Why the camera? Why did that <laughs> look so off? Like, you'd think... He, his head looks bigger than everybody else's head, and he's looking directly ahead. Like he's meant to be like at the like you know this historical events, <laughs> but he's not watching. He's looking. Yeah, he's just looking at someone taking a camera. Yeah, photo. I don't know if it was just a bad photograph they used or a bad like edit. I I don't know why that looks so dodgy. Yeah. You wouldn't think that a photo edit would be beyond the capabilities of a BBC special effects team, but especially in two thousand and five. Yeah. Yeah, what was he doing at the assassination of JFK? Um, Why did he go there? We've never explained. Just to watch it? I mean, maybe it's better that they didn't explain. You know, maybe that's the <laughs> historical event that aliens shouldn't be a part of. Uh, 
So why was the doctor there? I don't know. Then, the, 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 if Ailey is out there, the only reason the doctor is there was to see what happened. What do you think of, of the concept? I know we didn't say it a lot. We didn't go too much into it. But the fact that reintroducing the show, they decided to destroy Gallifrey and have the Doctor be the last of the Time Lords. Well, because I, I, for me, I didn't really know otherwise. I didn't know. I remember learning that the Time Lords weren't always dead. I thought that was like a constant yeah, thing yeah. throughout the 50 years. And it wasn't until quite late, maybe, you know, maybe towards Matt Smith era, where I sort of researched it and sort of thought, oh, right, no, this is just a new Who thing that they killed off Gallifrey. And I quite like yeah. it. I think it gives him, uh, it gives the Doctor, like, a new story arc. And it kind of, I said it last week, it kind of adds a, sen- an, a new sense of kind of mystery around him. And yes. the time orders appear. Yeah. And cool. Yeah, I like it. And it's something where, as a kid, I never knew otherwise. Um, yeah, and I think that's maybe something to bear in mind, especially when with new new who like the most modern stuff is kids now they won't know any different because they'll watch peter and jody then they'll go back and watch yeah. oh that's real weird though to think that kids now watching jody whittaker they'll go oh, what there was a guy before this and then they'll watch peter capaldi who was our christopher eccleston so would mm. they think of matt smith david Tennant, and christopher eccleston mm. as classic doctor who I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess like first we started with Tennant, yeah, and so, um, I guess like let's see, Joey's the thirteenth, Eccleston's the ninth, so that's going back four Doctors, is it? Yeah, so that's if, like what we start with Tom Ec- Baker. Yeah, well, for us, if we start with the tenth, so if we go back for we the sixth Doctor would have been Conway. For kids today. Christopher Eccleston is what our Colin Baker was. But I feel there was a, there was that 15-year gap, though, in between, wasn't there? Yeah. So yeah. I think maybe if we were watching Colin Baker, it would have been dated more than kids today watching Christopher Eccleston. Well, I know kids. Yeah. I know... Well, that sounds so weird. I know kids. Um, I know of kids who are watching Doctor Who, and they're, they're only like seven or eight. But their favourite doctor is his favourite doctor is Christopher Eccleston. Really? They've yeah, gone yeah. back to watch the original show. Yeah, I think his parents must be fans of stuff and he's seen them and because I, I didn't I, know. I guess it's like it's on iPlayer, is there as very and because New Who is kind of seen as its own entity, kind of starting with series one, is kind of this series one is probably the best jumping on point for a new viewer, I'd say. Like there are yes. a few Good jumping on points. Like there are a lot of classic doctors where like you could start with Pertry or Tom Baker. You could go back and start with an unearthly child and Hartnell. And <laughs> similarly, you could start with say Matt Smith, or you could start with Jodie Whittaker. Don't start with Capaldi, because <laughs> I tried getting back into the show when Capaldi joined after like not watching the show for years. And I just had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so Capaldi is not a good jumping on point. Okay, maybe that would be a good episode to do. Maybe that would be maybe if we want to take a break from just talking about episode after episode to actually go in and maybe review what would be a good starting point for people who want to watch Doctor Who. Yeah. I think, in my mind, the best starting point for anyone like today in 2020, the best starting point is probably Rose. 
Yeah, probably. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. It's, the best, it's one of the so best far, open. Yeah, and so far I feel like Series 1 is kind of proving that right. Because I'm right in thinking there are no classic monsters in that episode. When they walk through, they're all Not new to monsters. my knowledge, no. No, so they're all new. No. I think it's a really good way of introducing new monsters because in the first episode you get the Autons with yeah. some elements of new Who and in this episode it's all just new monsters and they come at you like that. They're just one after another yeah. as they walk through the door. Yeah, and at first kind of I was a little worried just by some of these very goofy designs, you know, this blue guy on a chair. The mocks of Balhoon. And... <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah. And then like I can't remember who else. Like, there were a lot of like the blue. Something about the blue makeup didn't work for me. On there were a lot of blue people in this episode, <laughs> and I don't know. You could kind of tell it wasn't like it was, you know it wasn't the most convincing blue makeup I've seen. Yeah. Um. So I was a little worried about that, but I think that kind of as a whole, these this assortment of goofy aliens kind of did more than just being a kiddie amount of aliens because it was a better way of introducing yes yeah yeah there's a real gather and start talking and kind of you see from rose's perspective just how overwhelmed and far from home she is surrounded by all these bizarre creatures and she Mm. even says something like i can't remember what she says i think she just goes they're alien you look at them and they're alien yeah yeah that's what she says yeah yeah I think it was a much yeah. better way of introducing new Doctor Who monsters than what we've seen recently. Yeah, yeah I think it was a really good way of introducing new um, aliens. It's quite interesting, as they're walking through, apart from the face of Bo and Cassandra, you don't hear or see any of these monsters ever again. No. Like, a lot of effort went into kind of design, must have gone into design these. Like, some of these kind of, they did look like, I, I, you know, I make fun of the blue-looking people, but everyone else... They're pretty top quality designs. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. Part of me thinks that maybe the only reason they brought the face of Bo back is because so much effort went into designing that character. Yeah, they're like, this, you know? this spent so yeah. much money, we need to use it again. But in that episode, he doesn't even talk, he's just in the background. Maybe he mumbles kind of at one point, yeah. Does he? Yeah. I mean, I guess they would have thought we've designed this really cool thing. Yeah. We need to make it worth something and so they bring it back <laughs> yeah that's quite interesting because when Cassandra returns and the face of Bo return they both return in the same episode which yeah. is episode 2 of series 1 and episode 2 of series 2 if you count the yeah, Christmas Invasion one. as episode 1 yeah how do you count the Christmas Invasion on Netflix it does oh, okay. <laughs> yeah okay, so yeah but I know what you said with regards to how much money the face of Bo costs in this episode, there's 110 different um, VFX shots. And I think a movie at the time, Gladiator, I think only had around 40. Wow. <laughs> so I watched an interview. No. With... Sorry? Um, no, you continue. I watched uh, Russell T. Davis do an interview where he said, this episode cost far too much money and we needed to do it on the second episode because it sort of hooks people back into it. Almost, if people yeah. don't remember this episode, they may as well just not bother making the show. You hear that a lot, that they don't... With a show, especially a show like Doctor Who, they don't split the budget equally between episodes. They kind of have to decide which episodes are going to be expensive and the effects intensive and yeah. which ones are going to be cheaper and more intimate. And the interesting thing is usually 
like cheaper episodes are often the better ones. Like, yeah, I know um, with Father's Day that's the case, but I can get back. We can get to that when we get to that. Yeah. But yeah, like, I know something like, for example, um, I know that Blink in series three that was a the reason that episode exists is because they had very little budget for it yeah. and they had to fit in with and David Tennant's schedule was very limited so he had to film it in a way that meant they could use him sparingly say on the note of Rose being away from for a year I think considering this is an episode that has a lot to do with um the prime minister and politicians it was a very smart decision to have it that Rose was away for a year because by doing that they're able to kind of skirt around the fact that they of having to acknowledge who's in power at that point. Yeah. There, there's a point where like um, the doctor asks who's the prime minister and Rose says, how should I know I've been away for a year? <laughs> and it's a show where obviously I'm not going to say that Doctor Who isn't a political show because Doctor Who is a very political show. It's sci-fi. Mm. Sci-fi very often touches upon political themes. But obviously, it's never been a show to um, explicitly place itself as saying, we support, you know, Labour or Conservatives. I'll be voting Labour this time because the alternative is a disaster area. Take you 30 seconds and it'll last for five years. Now, the last, the last week or so has got a bit, what? So Ambiguity bit, has crept in. Yeah. Talk, tell me what's open, David. So shops are open. <sighs> Restaurants some shops closed. are open, some shops aren't open. Some kids are at school, some kids aren't at school. It's, you know, it's sort of what you make it. It used to, like Jody said, it was very binary at first. And now it's like, yeah, go out, don't go out. I don't know. Go on the tube, don't go on the tube. It is quite hard to keep up. It would, I mean, what we need really is a prime minister, but unfortunately we have a Coco the Clown Tribute Act. So we're struggling for clarity in the UK right now. Come and live in America. See how you feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah, it doesn't align itself with an opinion, does it? It just addresses an issue. No. Well, obviously, each writer for the show has take obviously has a political stance, but um, they don't. Um, you know, it could have been very easy if Russell wanted to to uh, take pot shots at say whatever party he doesn't like. Mm. But because we do see that this is a sorry, go on. Obviously, he recognizes that you know this is a show, you know, um, for families, for children, and it's not really the right place and time to make such comments. So, no, he was very smart in finding a way to kind of have a story about political figures without it resolving, dissolving to that kind of thing. Yeah, because we do see the Prime Minister very briefly, and I believe it's implied to be Tony Blair, who was the Prime Minister at the time, because the guy who falls out the cabinet, no pun intended, does look very much like Tony Blair, but not enough for you to go, that's clearly Tony Blair. You did touch on it there a little bit, that this is a kid's show. This This is the episode out of the and five we've watched so far, this is the episode where I felt it was targeting itself at a younger audience more than a young adult adult audience. Um, do you think if, like, the Doctor appeared in his TARDIS and went on an adventure, like, 
near you and was like, hey, <laughs> want to come with me? Would you? Um, do, I, do I know the show? Um, uh, let's say no. Just that this strange man hey. with a box or woman with a box and a screwdriver comes and fights some aliens and yeah. asks if you want to come traveling with them. If I, was, if I was in a scenario where I'd seen the alien and I'd been saved, I'm picturing myself as Rose in episode one in that scenario where I get the option to leave or to, to stay with Mickey or go. I think I would be apprehensive, but I would go. Hmm. Maybe, I, but I feel I would be knowing me. I would do the one trip, and I'd be like, "Okay, that's enough. I can't do this. It's too weird." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I feel I, like after one near-death experience, I'd be like, <laughs> "I'm done. I want to go home." Yeah, I nearly just got fried. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. an interesting thing that you don't really see many companions do that. Like companions mm. are either in it for the long haul until like either they're forced to separate or they die. Yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see a companion who maybe joins the TARDIS team by accident. Maybe he or she has to, is saved by the Doctor and the Doctor just can't get her home for whatever reason, so she's stuck with the Doctor. Yeah, the closest thing I can think to a companion like actively leaving is Martha at the end of Series 3, where she just says, you know, this was great, but I'm done. I'm going to go live my life. Um, Yeah, I agree, yeah. All right. So we can still well, later on. We're going to do our ranking of the first six episodes. Yeah, I can mm. see you looking slightly worried, almost as if you forgot we were going to do that. But that doesn't matter. No, we'll it's because the reason is that um, I feel like the things I'm going to say about this episode are going to give away pretty early on where <laughs> this is going to be in the ranking. Okay. Well, do you want to do the ranking first then? Um. Yeah. Do we want to do top to bottom or bottom to top? We'll do bottom to top. So if you want to go okay. first. Okay. Well, for me, um, bottom, I'd probably start with the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, next in the ranking, I think would be um, Aliens of London and World War Three together. Yeah. Um, then Rose, oh, then The cool. Unquiet Dead, and at the top, Dalek. All oh, right. Okay. So ours are quite similar. How come you've put the um, World War Three and Aliens of London quite low down? Um, it's not that they're bad. It's just that I feel that um, with this with series one, mm. um, the standouts really stand out, yeah. and then everything else is like still perfectly enjoyable, but just to me doesn't jump to my head when I yeah. first think of series one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, well, when I've done my list, I've split those two episodes up. So I'll do my list from the very bottom. My okay. list starts same as yours. My least, not my, when I say least favorite, I don't mean I didn't like it. I just mean out the ones we've watched. If I had yeah, to yeah. rank, them. so at the bottom of my list, I've got the end of the world. Then mm-hmm. I've got Aliens of London. Then I've got the Unquiet Dead. World War Three. Oh. Rose and Dalek. Where's Rose? Oh, is Rose before Dalek? Rose is second. Dalek is first. Of course, yeah. So okay, sp- that's interesting. What is it? Before we move on to Dalek, I was just wondering, what is it about World War Three that you 
think puts it above the first part, Aliens of London. It had more aliens. It had more Slovene in it. I re- that was something that, I, if you go back and you listen to that episode when we did four and five together, I really enjoyed mm. the Slovene. I don't know why. I think it was a good break, as in, we've had three really serious, three and a half really serious episodes. This is just a bit of a fun throwback episode almost. And I really like the aesthetic yeah. look of those aliens as well. I think they mm. look really good. That's interesting, because for me, I thought that I would actually probably say that I slightly prefer Aliens of London, just because I really like, I just really like kind of like the world building of kind of tackling how people would react to Aliens landing on planet Earth, and I feel like that really played to Ripley Davis' strengths. Yes. And then the Slovene, whilst enjoyable aliens, in some regards, were a little kiddie slash a little dated in the CGI. Yeah, they were. That was one thing that did stand out. One thing that almost put um, Aliens of London a bit higher up was just a solid line of, excuse me, do you mind not farting whilst I'm trying to save the world? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just such a good I'm line. Such a kid. Um, there's a moment later on where it's kind of overlooked. It can be overlooked because of how quick it is, but as soon as he realises the Doctor is an alien, his first thing he does is kidnap him and tie him up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, one interesting thing about that scene where he has the... Two two things. One is a question, one's a, a, a fact. Um, the question is, is that the first time we ever see Doctor Who shirtless? Um, I think we might... When Paul Mc, when uh, Sylvester McCoy regenerated into Paul McGann. We had Paul McGann walking around that hospital shirtless. Well, why, why do you remember that? Like, That's a weird thing to remember, Harry. I saw the Doctor Who movie when I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I I was... yeah, of course you did. You just replay that bit, don't you? <laughs> I actually need to watch the movie again for. We can do it for um, this. We can research. do it. We can do a special one day. It's a bit, I think. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if I. I know I've seen. I've seen it. In what concepts I've watched it, I honestly can't remember. Have you watched the full thing? I know you have it on DVD because you've shown me your DVD of it. Yeah, it's just over there somewhere, so we can have watch it. Um, but at the very start of the episode, there's a moment I really like where they get out and they're looking at all these alien artifacts. And for the first time in the series, in the early time, we see a Cyberman helmet. Ah, uh, yes, the Cyberman. Yeah, and it's and, a. Uh, is it from the 80s? Era yeah, it's it's quite 70s. an early one. It's not the very, very early. I think it might be yeah. a um, a Colin Baker style one. Mm. But I, it lingers on it for a long time, is what I noticed while I was watching it. I, I, when I was just thinking back to it, I just remembered it being in the background. Something like they just walked past and he looks at it briefly, then walks off. But he really holds no. on it. And it goes, you know, yeah. there's a shot of him, a shot of that, shot of him, shot of that. And then just a really deep close-up of it. Yeah. And I think it's cool that there's actually a shot where the shots of him looking at it, at the uh, helmet, but you can see the reflection of the helmet overlaid over him and his head. Yes, I did notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm reading these from um, notes that I made two weeks ago. So um, do bear with. So shortly after the Doctor and Rose dropped him off, Adam's mother died. His mother, what? Yeah, his, yeah, his mom. You know his mom when she comes in and snaps her fingers. Yeah, like, like, like of shock of seeing. Uh, she has a or... she has an illness, and the technology the doctor erased from Adam's phone with the microprocessor could have helped to save Adam's mum. 
So Adam was acting more to save his mum in this episode than he was to maybe not intentionally. Self-care. I don't know if I don't know if he knows in the episode that his mum had the illness or it's something she gets afterwards. But anyway, his mum's dead. The technology that the doctor oh. erased could have saved his mum. Um, he uses okay. he uses the, his head technology, the little clippy thing inside his head, to steal um, corporate funding to fund his revenge against the Doctor. Revenge on the Doctor? Yeah. So he becomes a full-out villain? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know how, I didn't read on, but at some point, Adam steals a Vortex Manipulator from Unit. Um, he tries to recruit the Master in his plot to kill the Doctor, but the Master doesn't... Which version of the Master? Uh, it's not said, and the Master's like passively involved. He isn't, he isn't involved in the rest of this. Um, he finds out the Doctor can regenerate and kidnaps one of each of his incarnations' companions. So he kidnaps Sarah Jane, Leela, Ian and Barbara, Jamie and the Brigadier. Um, the Ninth Doctor arrives and he reveals his identity to the Ninth Doctor as he kidnaps Rose. At the same time, he kicks the Ninth Doctor and kidnaps Martha and Clara. Alright, the whole well, gang's here! <laughs> all the Doctors get together and save their companions, and then the master kills Adam. This is a very big story. Um, was Huge, this like, isn't for, it? like an anniversary? I is can't an imagine anniversary so. Thing? I don't think so. But what a way. Um, no offence to whoever wrote that, and I know I haven't done it justice just then. But who? Why? what a waste of a multi-doctor episode, uh, story, that have them come together and defeat Adam Mitchell from Series 1, Episode <laughs> 7. He- it just, it seems weird to me that to choose. I like the idea of Adam being turned into like a villain. I yeah. like as a concept it could be interesting, but the fact that like he's turned into like this super villain of such a scale that it takes every single Doctor to defeat him. Of all the Doctor Who episodes, why is the long game the one that's breaking me? <laughs> well, I think it's quite good that we fight fa- because I know we've always said up to episode six, we did a sorry episode five, we did our ranking of the first six episodes of series one, and we, it was quite hard because I think we both agreed that they were all good episodes. Mm. This is the only this- episode out of the seven that we've watched that has that was a drag to watch and one that I wasn't really enjoying watching. I. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not a train wreck by any means. Oh, it no, is not, not a, like train wreck. It's still like competently made. Uh, there's still fun exchanges between a doctor and Rose. But why is it there? It doesn't serve a purpose, really, yeah. does it? Yeah, there's some good ideas. Like, I feel like perhaps if Adam had been removed from the story and had been just all about kind of this deep dive into Satellite Five, would have worked better. Yeah. Or better yet, it was a more familiar place to take Adam and kind of explore him a bit more yeah. and find some a more unique angle for him. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of if you'd really focus on one or the other as it is, it's fine mm. like it, it's still kind of, you know but um, yeah, it's definitely the weakest so far no, and it's kind of weird because well, he's episode so far, I've been surprised that I've said that all the weakest ones are the ones written by Russell, which I kind of feel bad about because I feel like that's almost a negative reflection of Russell as a writer, which is not my thoughts on Russell at all. I think he's an incredibly 
smart writer. That's quite interesting think... you say that because Chris, Christopher Ferguson's been doing more and more conventions recently and more Q&As. He's getting asked questions from the audience that people have been wanting to know for 15 years. And um, he recently spoke about the writing. I think we might have touched on it in previous episodes where he said, uh, Russell has a really clear vision for Rose and he knew what to do with Rose, but he didn't know what to do with the Doctor. Which maybe does show slightly That's more. Fair. Do you think so? Maybe, yeah. He said he said he didn't really know what Russell wanted from him as an actor, but when he worked with Moffat on The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, he knew what The Doctor was about, and he could see yeah. the points of The Doctor, and he understood what the writer wanted from him. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. That's interesting. Because I, I do feel like... Um, a lot of what makes Eccleston's Doctor unique comes from Eccleston himself yes. and his performance. Excuse me, do you mind not farting while I'm saving the world? Would you rather silent but deadly? And honestly, the same can be said for a lot of um, Doctors. A lot of Doctors, if you kind of look at it on the page, are written pretty similarly, at least in their first series. And it's the performance of the actor that kind of makes them different. Like yeah. Tom Baker, for example, when he played it, he was kind of told to play it as Tom. Yeah. And it was him bringing himself to the role, which made it work so well. And with the exception of a couple of character actors, like um, uh, Troughton and Matt Smith, for the most part, it is kind of the actors bringing their own individuality to the Doctor that makes each incarnation unique. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely so, agree with you. Well, I remember when I first watched it, I'm very grateful that the BBC decided to repeat this episode and that I got to see it because um, I feel like it's kind of, if you're going to get into Doctor Who, it's kind of an essential one to view. Even if you're not starting with Series 1, you kind of need to see it as an explanation for why, despite the fact that these characters can time travel, they don't go around changing history yeah. for the better. Yeah, yeah, because that was one thing that I noticed straight away when he was like, you know, when he's like, okay, be careful what you wish for. And I was like, why, why are you going there? You know, <laughs> you, you, even before you get there, he should have known what was going to, the Doctor should have known what was going to go down when, he, when they got there. Yeah, he should have probably laid out some clearer ground rules of, you can't interfere with history. You can't save his life. You can't change a fixed point in time. I guess it's kind of a thing where by that point, the doctor had built up a certain level of trust and respect for Rose. Yeah. And that in his mind, he expected her to act more responsibly than she did. And yeah. to Rose's defense as well, it wasn't. Ex- he never explained to her that <laughs> doing what she did could have massive consequences no he doesn't does he no you sort of think maybe after the long game where they go away with the legendary adam mitchell um, oh, oh best companion <laughs> you sort of think because he has so much faith in her in that episode that you do obviously just assume that she knows everything by now and i watched um russell t davis and he was saying um We've seen that Rose is basically a great companion for Doctor. She's a great fit, but even she gets stuff wrong. But when she does get stuff wrong, it's on like a catastrophic level. Mm. 
So what did you think? I felt like the character of Rose, this is... We've seen a lot of her character over the last seven episodes, but I definitely think this is one where those seven episodes all came together and we saw a lot of Billy slash Rose in this episode. Yeah, this is definitely the episode where um, Rose as a character um, is, as far as we've seen so far, at her kind of most um, emotionally kind of vulnerable and yeah. exposed. Yeah. And kind of, especially the scenes with her and reacting to her family and them not being the kind of perfect picture she painted in her head and kind of seeing how much it kind of hurts her to kind of see her mother kind of disregard her and be rude to her. And yeah, she really goes through a lot as a character. And um, Billy Piper really does a great job kind of hitting those beats in a very kind of truthful and emotional way. Yeah, I found the scene um, where um, they arrive at the church and Jackie just instantly starts rinsing Pete Tyler. She's like, who's this girl? Where have you been? You almost got killed. You're a bad father to your daughter. She needs someone properly and all this stuff. And yeah. you have grown-up Rose, Billy, watching the scene unfold, who, you know... Um, Jackie has always told her that her father was a hero. She's obviously been lying because why would you want to paint a negative picture of someone's dead father? Cool. So the Doctor dances him. Oh, I know. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop us right there because as always, it's tradition now. It's time for the quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. We're having a quiz. We're having a quiz again. I'm going to quiz you three questions all about the Empty Child episode. Are you ready? How many will I get wrong? Let's go. (laughs) What colour is universally recognised as the colour of danger? Red. No, mauve. Really? Yeah, the start of the episode where before the opening opening credits, Rose says, where are we going now? And the doctor goes, it's mauve. And she goes, what's mauve? And he goes, it's a universal simp- It's a universal colour of red, uh, of danger. And she goes, what about red? And he goes, no, that's only, uh, that's only humans. I can't believe you missed that one. Oh, <sighs> GCSE English lied to me. <laughs> what is the name of the man who is annoyed by the air raid siren in the middle of the night? The name of the man? Yeah, the, the, that is also the house where Nancy steals the food from. You know, you see them at the start of the episode with the ah. doctor looking over the wall. I want to say Harold. Oh, it's Arthur. Ah! Oh, see if you can get this one right. What actually was the ship that, that Jack tried to sell the doctor? What was that ship actually? It was a war ambulance. Yay! You got one out of three. Yeah, I got the one that was a plot point right. <laughs> so let's do the Doctor Dances. The episode starts. I mean, I, Sorry, I feel like I need to defend myself for that, which is that um, the first half of that episode, I watched in bed and then fell asleep, like, and then I finished it the next day. So, you know, if my memory's a little hazy, I was like basically snoozing through that first half. Maybe it's okay, I can still talk about it. I watched it before. 
Maybe you should take <laughs> podcasting more seriously. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, the Doctor The Doctor Who watch long podcast. We watch it half asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's um, our hook. That's the uh, thing we bring to it that no one else does. No one else watches Doctor Who as they're dozing off and only remembers like patches. The Doctor dances, opens with the classic line of go to your room. I completely forgot about that. It's quite weird seeing the Doctor say that. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's kind of a funny solution and it's kind of not something they ever kind of bring back in the episode but no. I, it works it works and it's kind of, I like his reaction to actually working which is yeah. god oh, I'm glad that works that have been terrible last words yeah I, I was at that point that I sort of realised oh I really get why Christopher Eccleston has really liked these episodes because they are fun episodes yeah well, no, he has having like so much it, I mean, I don't know if it's just his great acting, but it seem, feels like he's having so much fun on set, especially during the Doctor dances. No, definitely. Um, one thing that I picked up on that one, I, it stood out to me quite a lot, was set your alarm for Volcano Day. Now, Oh, yeah, the Pompeii it, references. Yeah, because he mentions Pompeii. And then isn't the start of the Fires of Pompeii episode, the Doctor says, and it's Volcano Day, doesn't he? Yeah, I know it's like, I mean, it's very typical of Moffat um, that straight off the bat, you're hit with suddenly like this paciness, this like back and forth, just this kind of intensity that although um, most of the show is able to, you know, have those very energetic moments, Hmm. there's a certain quality to the way that Moffat does that very kind of pacey dialogue that just, there's a rhythm to it that feels very easy to just get caught up in in the right, action of it yeah. yeah I know I definitely agree one thing that I did notice straight from the start is is this the first time in this series that we hear the Doctor refer to himself as John Smith is it? I think it when is yeah he... um, trying to remember when he says it he must have is introduced... that when he's pretending to be a time agent? No, it's in. It's before that. It's before he meets Jack. It's very early on in the Empty Child. But he gets his psychic paper out and he calls himself Doctor John Smith. Ah, right. So I don't and know another that... thing is, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time in this series that they refer to the Sonic Screwdriver as the Sonic Screwdriver? Uh, I think it might be Sonic Screwdriver. Because um... I. Yeah, I feel be. like I know he he has obviously used it. He's used it many times, but I don't remember him like explaining what it is in Rose or anything like that. I feel like this is the first time they properly kind of say what it is. No, yeah, I know what you mean. I know that from Davis, um, Peter Davison's Doctor, they blew it up. They blew up the Sonic. So mm. Colin Baker never had a Sonic screwdriver. Sylvester McCoy never had a Sonic screwdriver until the TV movie where he briefly uses it, but he was holding it the wrong way around, so they had to blare the top <laughs> of the Sonic out so people wouldn't notice he was holding it the wrong way around. In the early days, I mean, you know, it was definitely a place to place your latest inventions. Sadly, it didn't get as many of those... Um, new gadgets as I would have liked. If any, death. The seventh Doctor did finally get his hands on the one gadget. No Doctor should leave home without it. When I got my go with the sonic screwdriver in uh, America, I'd never used it before, 
And if you look at the film, you'll see that it's slightly blurred. And the reason is that I pointed it the wrong way around at whatever it was. I was supposed to be opening up or closing down. And um, whoever was in charge of knowing that wasn't in, on the set at the time. And so they filmed that bit, and then later it was realised, oh, my goodness, he's pointing it the wrong way round. There. That should do it. So... Uh, no, I don't. I think this is the first time we hear him say "sonic screwdriver." Yeah, I have to ask, like having a tangent. What are your thoughts on the sonic screwdriver? Because I know, like, some people prefer him not to have the sonic screwdriver because mm. they feel like certain writers can potentially kind of use it as kind of a quick fix to anything. Yeah, but at the same time, it's quite an iconic part of the show, and it, yeah. when used correctly, it can be really interesting what it can be used for. So what, what are your thoughts on this I Sonic feel, Screwdriver? I, feel, I like it. I've never had a problem with it. it. I think it completely depends on how it's being used. If it is mm-hmm. just being... I, I, I've just listened to Confidential in which Russell said the Sonic Screwdriver is great because you don't want the Doctor to be... You want the Doctor to be stopped by monsters, aliens, time, big swinging fans, but you don't want him to be stuck by a door. So the fact that he can yeah. use it to just unlock a door and walk through is fine. But he then did say that um, it, the solid screwdriver is good as long as you don't use it to save the episode. Villains to get in his way. You want motives to get in his way. You want great big chasms like on Platform 1 to get in his way. But you don't want a door to get in his way. It's the most unimportant thing of all. Why turn down a great idea? Because it is a great idea. I think the design of it is fantastic. And in a way, it, it kind of it is of the TARDIS. It, I, you know, if you look at that, it's quite similar to the central column of the TARDIS, and it's of the TARDIS, and possibly has a similar um, on-look-for qualities. We went through hundreds of concept drawings, introducing various uh, finishes and colours, um, but we, we soon ended up with um, a very clinical design, porcelain base, um, cracked over the over the over the years, um, and something that that really was the doctor's tool that, that could do everything. And it's quite 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 endearing that he he didn't make himself a sonic atomic bomb or a sonic machine gun. He made himself a sonic screwdriver. Who has a sonic screwdriver? I do. Lights. Oh, who looks at a screwdriver and thinks, "Ooh, this could be a little more sonic." What? You never been bored? There's got to be a light switch. Never had a long night. Never had a lot of cabinets to put up. Once you've got that device, I think you can actually have a bit of a laugh with it and use it for all sorts of functions, really. I mean, Stephen Moffat has it repairing barbed wire. It opens doors, obviously. It it does medical scans on people. Um, I think, well, firstly, it's... um, (laughs) We've been a bit cheeky because it's... uh, very long scene is basically at least half of the episode takes place in this little secure room. Um, but the why that's a good thing really is because you get to see just a real range from the Ninth Doctor. Yeah. And in addition to seeing kind of his range, you get to see kind of how he plays off lots of different characters. You get to see how he plays off Rose. You get to see how he plays off Harriet Jones. You get to see how he plays off Mickey and Jackie. You get to see how he plays off the Slovene themselves. It's really... It, kind of you see a lot and learn a lot about the Ninth Doctor through the way that he interacts with all of these different people. Yeah, there's definitely a scene where um, Harriet Jones suggests something. I can't remember what she says. It's before she points out the alien's fart and smells like um, bad breath. And the Doctor, you can really tell he admires her. He says, oh, well done, Harriet Jones. And it's very rare that you see yeah. the Ninth Doctor 
uh, show so much admiration for someone that isn't Rose. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Which... And um, I mean, I think there's... Hmm? No, go on, sorry. I mean, it's kind of a lot of that in this. Like, you, usually when you think of the Doctor as a character, you think they're the one who takes charge, they're the one that leads, they're the one who has all the answers. And in this scene, you kind of see that the Doctor really isn't that. In this scene, in addition to relying on Rose and Harry Jones, he has to rely on a lot of people. At one point, he, you know, quite hesitantly admits that he has to rely on Mickey to give him information. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. I want to get to the Mickey stuff, because Mickey was half the reason I really picked this scene. Uh, the other half mm. is the scene in which Jackie on the phone asks the Doctor, is Rose safe with her? And he doesn't yeah, reply, yeah, does that's... he? No, that's um, watching the episode um, for our podcast. That was one of the scene, the kind of moments in this episode that kind of really stood out to me. And kind of one of the strengths of this episode as a whole is that it really kind of explores um, something which I'm not sure if Classic Who ever explored it, but it really kind of, Rusty Davis really goes in depth with it with this series of how Rose traveling away doesn't just impact her, but how it kind of impacts the people she left behind. Yeah, yeah, because it's something that I, we've noticed a lot when re-watching it through the podcast is that there is an awful lot of, is Rose actually a nice person towards her family? Because she just picks up and leaves and leaves her boyfriend and leaves her mother behind. And she mm. doesn't tell them much about the Doctor. And I think it's really clear when we go into Mickey's, into Mickey's room that we see that in the background, Mickey has been doing endless research on aliens, the Doctor, homemade UFOs, there's so much in that room that you can pick apart. It's yeah, clear that you... people, like, you know, she just yeah. pissed off. <laughs> I mean, you would, like, if if your, like, girlfriend of, I'm assuming Mickey and Rose have been together for, like, well over a year. Mm. Like, if your girlfriend of that long just took off with some random bloke in a magic blue yes. box, you'd want to kind of know, why are you leaving me for this guy? Like, yeah, what yeah. is this guy? And kind of, it, that's a really strong fit strength this scene has, that you don't just learn about the Ninth Doctor through the Ninth Doctor, you learn about him through how others regard him, which mm. is, when you kind of look at him from an outside perspective, he's really weird and kind of unsettling. Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. I suppose you're right, yeah, because he's quite arrogant towards Mickey, isn't he? Especially this incarnation of mm. Doctor. When um, Mickey texts Rose the picture of the Slovene that he's just killed <laughs> when saving mm. Jackie, the doctor's response is, I'll tell your stupid boyfriend we're busy. Mm. Only to, a few moments later, desperately need his help. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, that's another thing about this scene, which I think is good. I think, I feel like this is the first, or at least one of the first... Um, scenes in this series where you kind of do see a bit of growth from the ninth doctor and mm. that kind of is regarding his relationship to mickey but you know whenever we've seen him talking about or interacting with mickey before he's been very very quick to dismiss him as just some you know pathetic you know human yeah no, definitely. you know Obviously. some unremarkable scaredy cat yeah but over the two seasons um, this... though, that Mickey's in, we do see him evolve, and he definitely, you know, in series two, especially in series two, when he leaves, he um, and then comes back, he's, you know, quote-unquote, defender of the earth. 
Yeah. And I mean, like, even like here in this, in this series, um, it, it, Mickey kind of like shows he's not a complete layabout. Like, like you said, he um, he he's done lots and lots of research while Rose has been yeah. away. Like, he's not been just like sitting on his ass. He's been a. I mean, that's the thing about Mickey. Kind of throughout the whole show, he's very active off camera, but because yes. it's from. Yeah, because the story is always told from the perspective of the Doctor and Rose, you don't really see how much hard work and graft Mickey's putting in. No, yeah, definitely. Even because he even gets um, accused of kidnapping and murdering Rose when Rose mm. disappears for 12 months. But credit to Mickey, he still stands by Jackie, even when she's about to be eaten by Slovene and killed. He comes in, whacks it over the back of her head with a chair, and you know, he rescues her and takes her to her flat. There is a scene where you can tell even Mickey's had enough of Jackie when um, oh, yeah. he's, trying to, well, he's trying to launch a missile. <laughs> She's, like, asking all these questions. So uh, that sort of brings us to the end of Series 1 of Big Ronnie and Zad. Um, next week we'll be doing a Series 1 recap, which will be coming out. Um, thanks for listening. We, were, I, we had a quick look into the listeners and the analytics the other day. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised by people actually listening to this. Yeah, it's weird to think that um, this little thing we kind of did for fun now has, like, people listening. Yeah. It's weird. I'm talking right now, and people are going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So, really, thanks for listening. Um, Do send your emails in whilst the podcast isn't actually on, because there's a chance we'll just read them out in videos anyway or in second seasons or follow us on oh I've got the thing here haven't I you would have thought after like 13 episodes I would have got the hang of this you can follow us on Twitter at Bigger on the Pod YouTube Bigger on the Inside Podcast Acast shows.acast.com Bigger on the Inside leave us a 5 star review on iTunes and email the show Bigger on the Inside Pod at gmail.com yeah so thanks for listening everyone it's been very good fun hasn't it Harry Yes, it was great to talk about this episode for the first time. What's one thing about Series 1 that has stood out for you that you didn't think would? What's something that's taken you by surprise? Mickey and Jackie. Really? Yeah. I I forgot how well-realized characters they were. And I think that lended itself really well to when we did that one fantastic scene a couple of weeks back. (laughs) Well, we spent more time talking about them yeah it was like a celebration of the ninth doctor you were like oh mickey's good in this isn't he so it's jackie (laughs) (laughs) so thank you all very much for um for listening and messaging us you know get in touch with us uh, with any episode suggestions or things you'd like us to do and um you know we'll take a look at it so i'll say goodbye bye bye now harry would you like to say goodbye what did you think to the best of Bigger on the Inside, Harry? It was only five minutes. Harry, don't be stupid. We've been sat here for well over an hour. Well, I guess time does fly when you're having fun. <laughs> you ain't wrong. Oh, hold on a second. What's going on? Let's be quiet and watch. What happened? Don't you remember? Is he about to murder that young woman? There was a singing. That's right. I sang a song and the Daleks ran away. Jesus, I'd hate to hear this fella sing. I was at home. No, I wasn't. I I was in the TARDIS and... uh, There was this light. I can't remember anything else. What?
Why is he looking at his hand like that? I'm sure he's okay. She's kind of cute. I wonder what her name is, though. Rose Tyler. Oh, nice one. I was going to take you to so many places. Barcelona? Not the city, Barcelona. The planet, Barcelona. You'd love it. Fantastic place. They've got dogs with no noses. <laughs> oh, that joke is terrible. Imagine how many times a day you end up telling that joke, and it's still funny. Then why can't we go? Maybe you will, and maybe I will, but not like this. This guy is tripping balls. What's he chatting? You're not making sense. I might never make sense again. I might have two heads, or no head. <laughs> Imagine me with no head. But it's a bit dodgy, this process. The murder process? You never know what you're going to end up with. Don't stay away! Tell me what's going on. I absorbed all the energy of the time vortex, and no one's meant to do that. This guy seems like a right idiot. <laughs> Every cell in my body's dying. I feel the same way here. Can't you do something? Yeah, I'm doing it now. Time Lords have this little trick. It's, it's all the way of cheating death. Well, I wouldn't bother with that, mate. Except... It means I'm going to change. to see you again not like this not with this daft old face i'm glad he said it and not me and before i go don't say that rose before i go i just want to tell you you were fantastic oi oi absolutely fantastic and you know what so was i Oh my god, is his face on fire? Oh my god, his hands are on fire too. What? What? Is that fire? Is, it, is he yellow? Like the yellow fire? Oh my god, someone... Oh my god, someone put him out! Oh my god! What the... Is that David fucking Tennant? Hello. Okay. New teeth. That's weird. So where was I? Oh, that's right. Barcelona.